0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to
1: emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello and welcome listeners to week two of three straight episodes covering the Mission Impossible franchise here on Feeling Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, is my always recurring teammate for these missions my best friend and co-host Patrick? Hello, Miss
0: Dwight. I am Larching free. I need to catch my voice. I, I don't know who this is. Hey, bro. that was my <laughs> best is, Solomon Lane. I can't. That do was your better, Sean Harris. That was yeah, decent. I, I'm gonna. I'm not. <laughs> I
1: gotta work on it. I gotta it work on it. But wasn't it's
0: bad. Look, it was. It, 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 it and it needs work. It needs work. I promise. I, I could
1: tell what you were going for, which I feel like okay, yeah, is a positive <laughs> portrayal. He
0: needs he needs a little bit more in the back
1: there, like that. With, with it's more so rasp. good, though. I mean, it, that's I what makes it, it so memorable. Yeah. Well, listeners, you may be wondering why we jumped from the first film in the franchise to the fifth film before covering the seventh film that comes out next week, and the answer is quite simple: they're my favorites, and I got to choose. As always, we'll be spoiling the story in full, so if you haven't seen it yet, hit up Paramount Plus where the entire series is currently streaming, then come back and listen once you're caught up. Alright Patrick, so I've already stated that this is my favorite in the franchise, and I'm sure I'll talk about why that is, the many reasons as we go, but first I want to find out where this falls for you. In regards to its ranking amongst the rest of the films, and just what are your overall thoughts on Rogue Nation? Well, when I stopped
0: watching after Mission Impossible, because I didn't like the second one at the time, I sort of ignored three, and then four and five sort of dropped in my radar, and I thought, oh, these would be fun to watch. And Of course, there are things about watching those two, and of course, Fallout, that make me go, man... What happened before this? Because there are new characters that seem familiar to Ethan, and I don't know a lot of them. And so I remember watching this out of order, much like we were doing now, but I did not have the background that I did in watching the previous entries at some point. But I do remember the first time enjoying what feels like the more mature version of Mission Impossible and being able to... As we mentioned on our previous episode, seeing Mission Impossible, the original, as sort of a prototype, this became, for me, probably one of the most non-formulaic versions of a Mission Impossible story. And so if the first entry gave us the IMF director essentially turning bad, this turned the entire thing on its head, complete with an opening that Left us sort of going, what is going on? It starts out in a way that's very familiar, similar to the first one. Not necessarily the third one, but I believe Ghost Protocol starts in a similar way. You know, mission, choose to accept it. I really, really liked the fact that we get this turn early and that becomes the focal point. So it's almost like a refreshing take on Mission Impossible where Ethan's not being attacked, but IMF is. And it's it's being done from the back end with this syndicate and something that's actually bigger than the IMF. It's beyond a mission. It's not. It's beyond an impossible mission. I also like the fact that it opens with a huge, amazing set piece that you're just your jaw drops because you think, oh, this is CG. No, it's not. This is Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise, and that he's just going to hang on to a giant, I think it's a C-17 or something. I don't remember what the plane is, but it's a huge cargo plane. And it just amplifies how big the franchise has gotten at this to this point. So I think for, for me, I don't know if I'd call it my favorite, I'd have to go back and watch Ghost Protocol. I absolutely love the heist sequences. I love all the things that are brought together. And I think when I watched this the first time, It really solidified how much I appreciate what Mission Impossible does as an IP, which is leaning into the tech and embracing the team up and allowing for the mystery box to open a little bit more. And so I think if there's anything about this movie that's great, it's the most maturing of the Mission Impossible franchise for me. And that's why I like it as much as I do.
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably in line with why it's my favorite is I feel like it is the most consistently high quality one all the way through where it might not have the best single set piece in the film. It might not even have the best single plot in the film or the best villain in the film. But every single element of this one is above average. And I find that Even in, I mean, my great love for the whole franchise, I can point out specific things about each entry that are a little lacking, and I never feel my interest or just complete engagement with this one drop one bit all the way through. And I love that it is the start of something. I think we've we've talked about this quite a bit. I like origin stories. I enjoy being able to learn about a world and it's very hard to land the plane, right? You just, you have to jump out of it if you're Tom Cruise. Uh, But if it's very hard to tell a great story and then continually up the ante, up the ante, up the ante and make it both entertaining and keep the level of believability that you want to have because you have to make it more difficult and more difficult, more difficult. And, So, when we're dealing with the beginnings of a story, and that's what this is, it's not fully like a reset, but it is the introduction of this new multi film antagonist in the Syndicate in Solomon Lane. It's pure because we don't know anything yet, and you don't have to live up to anything. It's just all on its own, and I enjoy that. And I think it's funny to me that both this and Mission Impossible One are my favorites of the whole series, and they're both basically stealing a knock list they I, I think I mentioned that last week but you know in the first one they're stealing a list of all the CIA or the, the IMF agents and then in this one it's a fake list of all of this syndicate uh, operatives is what we're told that they're trying to acquire obviously we find out later on it's not it's bank account information it's about money but I like that that's kind of how it's set up. And I also feel like this is, for me, probably the best, most perfect combination of team members for IMF because you have characters that have been there a while. So Benji, Luther, and Brant have all been there for multiple films by this point. And then Ilsa being... Like the most perfect entry into this as a new team member, my favorite of the whole franchise for someone that comes in, you know, later on, say after three and beyond, she is just a wonderful, wonderful person. And, you know, you get to have so much fun with her because you don't know what she is for most of this film that makes it interesting and mysterious. So I really love it as well. Just everything about it. You did mention, and right off the bat with your impression, so Solomon Lane, so the syndicate, and Sean Harris is this kind of mysterious big bad who, right off the bat, we understand how dangerous they are because they trick Ethan. The brilliant, brilliant scene where he goes into this old record store, I guess it is, and IMF agent takes him over to this player where he's gonna and which is also by the way a callback to the what is it premiere episode i can't think the my brain is not working the what's it called the first pilot episode pilot that's i was like it's a p word the pilot episode of the original like 1960s mission impossible series which i watched last week at some point and it also is a record player in that one and so i thought that was cool but then they they trick him right and he is gassed and captured and that is just like such a wow moment and i think it really introduces you to how dangerous a villain can be and sets them up for the rest of the film where you're not questioning it you you know that this is a problem like ethan is in dire stra Ethan has to get rescued by ilsa and if this random person was not going undercover in the syndicate ethan's probably dead it's that simple
0: yeah It's it's the first time I think in the series that we question: Is Ethan going to make it? Is IMF going to overcome this? And I think that's what makes it really great is because a couple of scenes later, there's that whole conversation with the eventual secretary (laughs) and and Brant about dissolving the IMF, how it's an antiquated organization and it's you know it's it's living without rules and all this stuff, and it's almost like the movie is promoting this. Okay, is the IMF not going to be around anymore? Is there going to be a new version? Because anytime you take an IP, you have the freedom within reason to change it. Now, I don't didn't think that the CIA would become the new IMF. And of course, it's great that this whole thing felt like a little shebang by the end of it. Like, oh yeah, it was all just a joke. I was just kidding. You know, I needed to infiltrate and whatever. But this introduction of the syndicate puts real stakes to IMF, to Ethan, and to his team. And when you see Ethan get his comeuppance a little bit, when you see him get overtaken by this, you're surprised. You're like, no way. He is too smart for this. And then you see Solomon in the distance through the smoke of the glass, which by the way is soundproof, and I thought that's fantastic, and I love how it's called back to later with solomon and it's just it's it's a great bookend, but the fact that he can just, without any kind of remorse, just completely like you know kill somebody, it sets up his villainry to a point where he will do anything he can do anything, he has no moral compass he does have he does have a weakness, everybody does. And it takes a lot to get to that point. But I think that because of the intrigue of his character, it makes perfect sense that he then comes back in Fallout, which I'm currently in the process of watching. My wife and I started it because, you know, she's in love with Henry Cavill, who's not. And we didn't finish it. And so before I, you know, before we go see (laughs) Dead Reckoning, we're going to finish out Fallout so I can at least have a little starting a running start to get into the, the next entry. But I think this is the first time since Mission Impossible 3, and granted, it's only been a couple of movies, that we've had a really interesting villain. Like, I I just, there's, to give him a multi-movie arc, I think is a very smart idea because it complicates the IMF. And it's what I think I felt when Daniel Craig's Bond saga became what it became. It wasn't just here's the new Bond and we're going to give him three or four movies and then we're going to move on. No, there was a intentionality to give him agency, give him a little origin story, give him a reason to do what he does. So by the time we get to the end of his story, it feels like its own self-contained Bond saga and not necessarily like just another five movies that you're enjoying as James Bond. I think the same thing happens here, and it happens partly because of Ethan and his team, but I think more than anything, it's because Solomon Lane is a continual villain in these movies, and it's a great choice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a it is a wonderful, wonderful threat to have them face off in against, and you know, one of the run running themes of this is people joining the team and flipping and. Coming around, and and Ilsa is the latest example of that. But we go down the list of kind of who all gets to do what, and I feel like everybody has something to do in this movie and kind of has their moments. Benji is put in an extremely deadly spot. He ultimately comes back to the team, so the IMF gets shut down. Ethan's wanted as a fugitive because he's considered responsible for the assassination. well, I think he's wanted before that, and then they and then he goes to try and prevent the assassination in Vienna, and the guy still gets killed by a car bomb and so on the outside, it looks like he's the one that's doing this because the syndicate's making it that way, and they're able to get Benji and Luther back to assist him, Ethan by brilliantly sending Benji some tickets and getting him to Vienna, and Brant kind of helps get Luther back in the fold as well. And I just, I really enjoy this because it's not them just helping Ethan because they're part of the IMF, like they have to make a choice, and this to me starts upping the ante of friendship, that beyond teamwork, where they care about Ethan as a person enough to go rogue again themselves after they've worked so hard to get off of the disavowed list essentially and back to being legitimate agents. And now here they are throwing it away again because they believe in him and because they trust and they want to save him and they know how important he is and what he, whatever he believes they, they get behind. And I just really enjoy that. And I think Brant works well as an intermediary because He's not on the ground this time, but he has been on the ground. Like, he's been in the fight with Ethan during Ghost Protocol, and now you have him being able to relay that to Hunley and fight against him in the bureaucratic battle. And you need somebody with that understanding. Yeah, there is a, that opening set piece establishes what I think is a,
0: as you mentioned, a really well-balanced team. Not only in their capabilities, but also in their personality. And, and I, I think Simon Pegg is great in this movie. I think he is probably beyond Ethan. He's the, he's the co-star that shines the brightest because of how he gets introduced. I mean, he is the guy in the chair in a sense, like he is the one who is introduced in the woods and he's trying to open the car, the doors and he opens the wrong ones. And it's such a great sort of, uh, amount of levity for this, just impact this big scene that's taking place. And then later on, he plays the he plays the betrayed team member so well to a point where I didn't know until he shows his true colors that he was. I thought the way that he was at the CIA was that, yeah, Ethan betrayed him. And again, it's because I hadn't seen Ghost Protocol in a while. And particularly the first time I saw this, I was like, well, I don't know who this guy is. But apparently, he, you know, Ethan pissed him off or something. But that's not the case. And I think that's so important because you're absolutely right between him and Luther and and even Brant to an extent, they are forming this sense of seeing beyond the mission and caring about Ethan as a character, as a person, because of that history. And again, I think that's where the IP really is finding its strength at this point in the history of it, the history of Mission Impossible beyond just individual movies. Um The ship, I think was righted with with three because it introduced us to Ethan actually caring about a woman and having this relationship and then having that tested and that starts this arc of how does he define loyalty and when does he put the mission above his friends, even if his friends are his teammates that essentially, I think I mentioned this last week that essentially is what happened in a sense with the Furious movies where there was this discovery that family was what it was about so let's lean into that idea mission impossible does that without losing the mystique of the mission like if it had been all about like loyalty 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 and they leaned too heavily into that then solomon lane wouldn't have mattered and all the tech and everything would have felt like just really stupid but i think that there's a really great balance to bring an audience in who says I'm here for the adventure and you get it you get this great adventure but it's only possible because you have this great team of people you have you have Simon Pegg and his performance as Benji providing what I think is probably the coolest tech in the in the movie this like newspaper <laughs> computer that is just like you know I never get to watch the opera I was just scan for people I'm like that's awesome that's like my you know, like my Kindle scribe here. I'm like, ah, this, is, this is what it is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> except it's a lot cooler than that. I can't scan facial you know, recognition or whatever. But then you have Luther, who provides that sort of quiet strength behind Ethan. And there's a great moment between, I think it's him and Brant, uh, Brant, Brantley, Brant. So Brantley, ah, it's brant and Brandt, hunley is hunley, the, thank yeah. you yeah i get those mixed up yeah I you're shipping them they're
1: they're not the same they're or, not together yeah, yeah.
0: sorry but he's having this conversation with brant who's trying to recruit him and he's like listen if this thing goes south i'm 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 out because i'm doing this because i trust ethan and that i think is sort of in a in a small way represents sort of the attitude of the whole team that ethan's why they're there but the mission is what they push forward in order to make sure it's successful. Yes. To keep him safe, but to really equally finish off the mission the way that it needs to be done.
1: Yeah. And it's also somewhat refreshing to have a protagonist that doesn't ever go through an arc where he seemingly is bad or he turns on his teammates that never happens. It never, ever, ever happens. Like, They have small arguments at times about how to approach things, but he always values their perspective. And even when he talks them into a plan, it's in a respectful way and they, they trust in him and he never puts them in a situation that he doesn't believe they can get out of or that he can get them out of. And I like that, that, you know, it's a through line through the entire franchise, but how he it continually grows and that's what gets more and more dangerous is you're not only dealing with like nuclear bombs and fallout, but you're dealing with the team and the fact that it's saving teammates that also puts the world at risk. And how do you reconcile that? And then when it comes down to it with this whole set piece of like tension at the end and Benji sitting at that table, you genuinely don't know. I feel like it's done in a way brilliantly made because you truly aren't sure whether or not they're going to get out of this, whether Benji's going to make it because he's a side character and he's been around for five movies. And so it's very conceivable that you could lose someone in that way. And so the tension is just at an all time high and you know, it's, it works as well because of Sean Harris being Solomon Lane and how this guy, you know, Ethan's essentially playing a game of psychology with him and he's betting that the money is important enough that he's going to give in in the end. And it's it's one of two really great moments from Sean Harris, the way he, he acts with his facial expressions and how they change over the course of that table conversation as he realizes he's getting bested and he has to give in that one and then the moment when he gets captured is just chef's kiss man when he gets into the box and he starts shooting the glass at first because he doesn't realize what it is and then he and then he loses it he's so calm for most of this movie and then he's just like he like freaks out and like bangs into the glass and he just he realizes He's stuck. Oh, man. And and it just pans out. And you have the team all with their little arms crossed sitting there, like all smug, different sections, you know, on different panes of the glass around the box. It is just one of my all time favorite moments in the entire series.
0: So what I think is great about Solomon Lane and, and how he gets his little just desserts is that there's this great line that Ethan says, I think it's about a third of the way through when his focus is on getting Solomon. Like he is just dead set. And um, listeners, if you don't know right now, uh, Aaron's filling in on an original series. We're going through uh, going through The Last of Us, and you'll hear that later on this year. We'll drop some episodes. But one of the characters in this in this series, her name is Kathleen, and he reminds me a lot of her. This sort of controlled yet obsessed character who wants nothing more than to get this thing. In this case, it's the, it's the list, it's the money. And those times that you mentioned, Aaron, are times when Ethan says early in the movie, he has, he knows what's going to happen. He has everything pretty much set out. And the times that he loses it are the times when he has to think on his feet. That interrogation at the, at the table at the restaurant is one of those times because Ethan has sort of played a move that he is not familiar with it's not predictable and so he has to think on his feet which starts turning the tide a little bit and now he has to think spontaneously so his kryptonite is essentially his ability to stay with the plan but the variable is Ethan Hunt and that's what makes him a great foil for Ethan and vice versa because Ethan challenges him to actually think spontaneously and it's because of that Spontaneous thinking that he ended up in the box. He ended up in that glass cube. That Ethan and and this is what's great. You have those four characters, and then the the staple to that the exclamation point is Ethan just taking his foot and like like throwing it on its side. And you don't even hear it like boom. It's just like a. But inside, I'm like, oh my gosh, did he have a concussion? Because I mean, the thing is covered with smoke. And by the Hope way, so. how does he how does he not shoot himself inside? It's that a thing? movie. I, yeah, kind of <laughs> I mean, absorbs. I don't know, Did, do bullets bounce off of resistant glass? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe it absorbs it. Yeah, I don't know. But I think that it definitely reveals, in a sense, that origin story that you mentioned, one of the weaknesses of Solomon Lane. And I'm hoping that as we get more into his character, as we see his character throughout the movie, that we see how that becomes a weakness of his And I love how the movie sort of explores that and how Ethan uses that along with his team to be able to pull him into that spontaneous think on your feet
1: way in order to like pull him off guard. Yeah, absolutely. And the other main like addition is Ilsa Faust. So played by Rebecca Ferguson. I've already proclaimed my love and I will continue to do so. She's this disavowed MI6 agent who is undercover with the syndicate. And like I said, the whole movie is fun because we don't really necessarily know where she's going to land at any given moment. She rescues Ethan, but then she betrays Ethan. And then she is on his side again, but then she is out for herself. And and you never really know. But while that's going on, there's this budding love interest, but it's not handled in the way that most movies handle love interests. They don't stop what they're doing. The movie grinds to a halt and they have a three minute romantic moment and sex scene to show us that they like each other no the plot just keeps going and it's in the acting and it's in the dialogue and the tension between the two of them you you can tell there's a attraction that is largely probably based on a respect for their skills that they each have which mirror each other right and I love that so much. In fact, that is pretty much also what carries on through the rest of the series in the way that his interest in her, it's never like directly, you know, there's not like in the Fast and Furious, they would do this. And then at the end of the movie, we'd be like going to Ethan and Rebecca's wedding. No, no, this is not the world you live in or not Ethan and Rebecca, Mm -hmm. Ethan and Ilsa. (laughs) And I like that a lot, and I it leads to this really cool twist, and this is just one of my favorite plots overall, because I think it is so self-contained as far as a spy movie plot, where they're trying to steal this list of the syndicate names. Come to find out that MI6 wants it. So she steals it, but Benji makes a copy. She takes it to Chief Atley, who is essentially the director of the the CIA director of MI6 and he wipes it clean, but she doesn't know why he wiped it clean because she thinks it's the name of the syndicate operatives. And she's like, well, why would you do that? But really we learn, oh no, it's actually this very damning information because Chief Attlee has continued to create the syndicate even when the prime minister had shut him down and said, no, don't do this. And so it's just, it's a brilliant plot because I think it makes a lot of sense. And while you could look at someone like a cheat, a lot of these different covert organizations, they do good in the world. And one of the challenges, one of the interesting things to me about the morality of them or the ethics of them is that they come upon these situations where they have to make a call. And Ethan has this happen all the time. Is it the the good of one or the good of many? Chief Atley thinks he's doing a good thing. He is not attempting to fund Solomon Lane. That is not his goal. He's not rogue, right? He wants a secret group to control to pursue what he believes should be justice. But he's not trying to disrupt the world, but yet Solomon Lane in a sense sort of thinks the same thing. He just wants to accomplish it through terrorism. And so I I love that because there's just a little bit about all these characters that are making the wrong choices that you can kind of understand and agree with at times. And it all just works brilliantly because she's, she's honestly caught in the middle of this. Uh, And she's, she's kind of being played by all sides while she's also playing Ethan. It's just a, it's like a rolling thing where, you know, you do it to me, I'll do it to you. Yeah. It's, it's
0: selective morality is what it is where you have, this end, and all of the motives by him, by Solomon, by Ethan, are asking the question, are the ends justified by the means? Now, we spend more time with Ethan and his team than we do with anybody else. So we're inclined to be on his side. We want to be the IMF agents. We think the CIA is stupid for shutting down the IMF. We think, you know, you've got Brant is doing the noble thing by keeping the IMF alive, because you know what? Yes, they operate with no rules, but those no rules have kept them, you know, have kept Americans safe and kept the world safe. You know, all these reasons why things should be, and it really just comes down to personal like perspective. So each one of these individuals, either influenced by their their respective agencies, are really living out a directive that is about what, quote, I think the world needs. And it makes for a really, really fantastic like saga, because that's what Mission Impossible is. Like When you think about all the missions that take place, I haven't seen the TV series in depth, but watching the movies and seeing a couple of the episodes, it really is. like For an audience, it's about entertainment, for sure. But the complexity of Ethan and Hunley and all of these other characters that are, leaders in their respective areas are asking that question. What do I have to do or what should I do? That's going to keep me from doing something morally unjust. And like all these, I think all these little organizations and agencies are really the, the antidote for that. This is your reason. The IMF exists to do good for the world. MI6 exists to do good for the world. Solomon Lane, (laughs) does not want to do good for the world. And we can, we can say that for sure. But you're exactly right. Like He wants to do something and he wants to use almost the same methodology to get there. So yes, he's clearly the bad guy. But I agree with you. I think that this questionable, like, should we do this? Is this morally right? gets asked all the time in these movies. And I think that's a great little... It's not It's not the focal and It doesn't need to be. But it's something that adds intrigue to each one of these characters and keeps them from just being like, throw away, oh yeah, you're the token IMF director. You're the token CIA director. And we're supposed to hate you and think you're stupid or think... No. Even the prime minister, to an extent, has some kind of like agency. It's not much. It's more there for comic relief than anything else. But when you introduce a character like Ilsa Faust, I think she represents who we are only a lot better looking and with a lot more skills than we have. I mean, when it comes to Rebecca Ferguson and her performance, it's never enough. If I can just say that, you know, Oh my <laughs> goodness gracious. <laughs> How did sure I that. not
1: expect that? Yeah.
0: So I, I, the short answer is I agree. I think she's a fantastic addition to this. And And there was a moment that, I saw what what you were describing, which is this this attraction to each other because of the respect that they have for each other. Like it's just after they sort of look at each other and they go after. I don't know if it's going after Solomon, but they both jump over this car, and it's like I can imagine Ethan or Elsa looking at the other person and being like, "Man, this is great. I've met my equal," and it's just it's it's very very cool because they both challenge each other, and it you know, comes into play even more in Fallout, which again, I think makes these characters so much more interesting because they have more than just one movie to fill out their character arc. They continue to grow and continue to move forward and round themselves out. And it just makes for more fun as the
1: movies get more mature. Yep, totally agree. She is involved in one of the best set pieces. I mean, there's so many good ones here. But the Casablanca underwater power plant, I just. Love this so much. This I I love when they're making their plans and everybody's sitting around like looking at each other and you could tell they're just like, this is ridiculous. There's no way this is going to work. This is impossible for for the title. And Ethan's like, yeah, you know, we're going to we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) And he goes down into this thing and he's underwater and he's trying to get this data drive and gets, again, she saves his life. So second time in this movie where she actually, you know, keeps him alive. She could have just gotten the drive and come out with it and run away or come out with it and said, Ethan didn't make it. He drowned, but she goes in, she gets him and it out. And it's just incredible the way that whole set piece works. In my opinion, um, it's, it's so much fun. It's the highlight of, I think, the
0: movie, not necessarily for me specifically, but it's on point with the drop down into the secure room of Mission Impossible. similar. And I think it's because you're basically holding your breath metaphorically and literally in both of these instances. You're like, I don't want to be any louder than Ethan is right now in the first one. And I mean, you can't tell me, listeners, that you haven't tried to hold your breath for that long to see if you can actually do it. I mean, you can't. It's just it, I mean, unless you're just amazing. What I think is great about that is not only just the holding of the breath, but the way in which I don't believe there's a lot of music, if any. Like it's all just ambient noise of being underwater. And I mean, and of from the a turbine going around and around and around. Exactly, yeah. So you hear all of the all the Foley work that's going on. And it just feels isolated, especially when I think it's just before she rescues him, you hear him struggling, you hear that i mean it's just like, "Oh my gosh, I can't breathe ethan start do do something and it it the tension I think of that scene is what makes that mo that just that scene so great is the tension that you feel along with Ethan, but it's cinematically fantastic like that turbine continuously spinning and then eventually him getting like, like right when he tries to flip out the cards, it's like, Oh my gosh. Again, this is another one of those like questions that doesn't really have an answer. How did he know which one is this? Like clip, clip the green wire, the blue wire, you know, using the yellow light from the abyss, you know, I don't know which one this is. I'm just going to take a guess, but it's just, it's so sort of compelling to be in that situation. I don't know if, other Mission Impossible movies have moments like that. I don't remember it. This is very memorable. Um, I can't remember if Fallout does at this point as we're watching it. It hasn't yet. But yeah, it's it's great.
1: Then there's the, the – it's comedic too. There's, like, there's great moments of levity that are mixed in to this tension that is ongoing throughout the entire plot, which is something this series has just expertly managed to do ever since – The fourth movie with Brad Bird, really, ever since Ghost Protocol and forward. We get to the one that you kind of were talking about with the prime minister. And the whole plan here is, of course, masks. But we don't know that going into it. Sometimes we know that they're going to use masks and it's fun to see it play out while we're in on the surprise. But this time we didn't. They go and they are supposedly going to kidnap... The Prime Minister, which is insane. This is a crazy idea, but this is what they need to do because they need his biometrics to open this encrypted virtual data uh, that's on the drive. And they go through this awesome set piece where someone is playing the Prime Minister or no, is it they're playing Atlee, right? They're pretending to be Chief Atlee. Yeah. And the Prime Minister... Gets them the information and then they they shoot everybody with like darts that put everybody to sleep. And it's just it is so fantastic. The reveal is played brilliantly. The prime minister kind of coming to the realization of what's happening is hilarious. He's like, at Chief Atley, you shot me. <laughs> um, I t- you know, and, and basically they're using faking being Chief Atlee to get the prime minister to tell him what's going on. And it's just, it works so well. And I just found it to be so refreshing because they do it in a way that is completely nonviolent and on par with the morality of the team, right? They they aren't going to hurt people that don't deserve to be hurt just to get the job done. They found a non-lethal way to accomplish it. They, they you know, they even Chief Attlee, who is very much has made questionable choices in this and probably poor ones. He just gets put to sleep and they let the British government handle it and deal with him. They don't like shoot him and, and they don't, they don't become exactly what he wants to do, which has become judge, jury, and executioner themselves.
0: Yeah. And this is a great gotcha moment for the audience because we are living in this world where Solomon Lane will do nothing short of killing people. Like he'll do that. He will do whatever it takes to get what he needs. And the obsession that we see Ethan having with needing to get that list, needing to get Solomon Lane, we start questioning throughout the movie because of his persistence, he'll do anything. And when there's a hint about the prime minister and having to either execute him or kidnap him or do something pretty nefarious, at that point in the movie, I'm thinking as an audience, man, Ethan's going to... He's going to break that moral code. He's going to go, I mean, he's no longer a member of IMF. He is part of this rogue nation that's not the syndicate, but is he just as bad? And so those questions start going through your head and then we get to that scene and all that stuff plays out and you're reminded by being duped (laughs) with the mask and the darts that no, there are limits, good limits to what these individuals can do. And they are smarter than us. They are, there is more than one solution to be found. So it makes me question as I watch these again when he's having an argument with Luther, when he's having an argument with Brandt, are they having the argument in front of others to try to confuse people, to try to like show them or throw them off the scent? And it's so good because it's that it's the magic act. It's the it's the misdirection of this whole movie that keeps us guessing not only about what Ethan and his team are capable of doing or what they need to do, but what they're actually going to do. And so by the time we get to it, we are assured that they do have limits. They do have a moral compass and that they can actually extract this information, which by the way, from a tech standpoint, I love the not just dual dual factor authentication, it's like multi-factor, like three different things that they have to do, like the handprint, an eye, and then I think a prompt, a Kipling prompt that, that makes him say something obnoxious. All that stuff just is so fantastic. It just leans into the tech that as you watch these years later, you're like, okay, that tech is starting to come around. I can start to see that. But at the time, you're like, it's unbelievable. But I don't care because it works for this movie. And it's it's like it's like a smart Inspector Gadget. I never, I never liked Inspector Gadget for a number of reasons. But the one thing I did like about the show... Was the gadgetry, was the ability for all these things to work in favor of solving the mystery? And that's what Mission Impossible really leans into these big set pieces, but also that tech and the way in which they gather the information. It's not just robbing a bank, it's doing so much more. And so I would love to be on the creative team when they come up with the story and Brad Bird or McCory's like, okay, guys. We got to rob a bank or we got to – you know, where's the bank going to be? Okay, it's going to be behind Niagara Falls and it's going to be in this like weird vault that's made of like jello and we have to figure it, – it's just – I mean, imagine being in the room to try to come up fun. with that kind of stuff. Yeah, It would be fantastic and I think that's kind of the creativity that gets more profound as the movies go on. It's just cool and I think it's what makes people want to come back for these movies because of the fact that they're getting to see Ethan. They're getting to see all this stuff that we just talked about. But at the end of the day, they also get to see these great techie gadgets that are used to help open up those mystery boxes and solve those problems.
1: Yeah, well said. It's all that stuff, man, that just makes this one, I think, so perfect for me is, like I said, it just doesn't dip. It's straight through a rocket ship, entertaining, great characters, so well balanced. And I hope that they're able to eventually come to something that's like this again that would be my dream is there anything i didn't touch on yet that you thought of i mean nothing
0: in particular except i wanted to call attention to one of my favorite like shots of the movie and that's during the the great motorcycle chase i think it's (laughs) i laughed i was talking to my wife when we were watching the movie when uh when ethan and Benji crash the truck, and he takes off. On he gets the,
1: out like, and goes and
0: gets on the motorcycle. right after on the that. motorcycle. <laughs> I love that. I thought it was at the at the time kind of stupid. I was like, here's a guy who he got to keep his cool factor. He gets his shades and gets on the motorcycle. But she reminded me that when you are at a high speed on a motorcycle, it keeps your allows you to keep your eyes open. You know, because he, he's not wearing goggles. He's not wearing a a helmet like Ilsa is. But I think the the thing that I absolutely thought was great in that scene is the way in which he gets thrown off of his bike where he's chasing her and then all of a sudden she just stands in the middle of the road <laughs> as he's coming around the corner and completely throws him off. And then she just stands there and then she just takes off. It's like the power of Rebecca Ferguson. It is on full display there. That's exactly what I felt I was like, yep, I would stop for you Rebecca because you're that just badass to me.
1: You're just yeah. amazing.
0: As a as a character, so yeah, I just want to I wanted to kind of call attention to that and give some love to that moment.
1: Yeah, I'm glad I'd forgotten about that car chase actually, and it's one of the best ones in the whole series for sure. I think like again, anything that is this big of a franchise, well, and there's pretty much a chase scene in all of these movies, and we'll talk about the one that happens next week as well. So sorry, spoiler: there's a car chase in Dead Reckoning. Who who would have thought? But there is a balance that you have to find between over the top and like you want to keep the best ones are grounded in a very believable way. It's where Fast X starts to lose me. Well, they lost me. They started losing me a lot earlier, but it's when, when you're, there's zero reality anymore to the car chases, right? Like in the one, whatever the Fast 9, when they're like, swinging across this bridge from mountain to mountain and stuff like that. It's fun in a different kind of way, but I like the consistency of the mission impossible world. And in this one, how everything is just elevated and heightened enough with that tech you're talking about so that, you know, we're in a different world that everyday people are not going to be able to play in, but it still feels extremely mortal. And yeah, and on the ground, and the way that that car chase plays out is just so good. And part of it, part of it is because of the wreck, and because it does take people out of the the race periodically as they go through it. There are it's not just everybody in it, you know, getting smashed up and getting up and just continuing over and over. It, it is a progressively Dangerous, dangerous thing that ultimately ends up having to stop because you can't keep going, or somebody is truly going to be hurt beyond what they can bring back. And I just, I love that so much. But uh, I think that was, yeah,
0: I think that was set up really well in the first movie, even though I didn't really love the helicopter train sequence. I thought that setting the tone for a big, big like finale at the end of each movie that's a little bit, not, it's as you mentioned, consistently elevated. Like it, it's it sits here, like at one level, but it's still entertaining. It's like it's like tapping back into it, but it doesn't have to go to space. It doesn't have to have a dinosaur, you know, attacking Ethan in order to make it feel bigger. It's just mission impossible big. And I think that needs to be coined. Like, is this mission impossible big? Which is the consistency that we like. And I'm excited. I'm really, really looking forward to that bigness coming out in uh, in our
1: conversation next week and well, in our viewing next week and then the conversation after that. Me as well. So that's what we'll be doing next week. Patrick? Yeah. I don't, I don't do the end thing. I should shut up.
0: Well, that's okay. You know, we got Dead Reckoning coming up and, and it's the only movie of 2023 that has the stones to actually call itself part one of something. So I'll give it kudos just for that. Even if I don't like it, which I know I will, it's got A one up on every other movie that faked us out and said, nope, we're actually part one of three or two of three or 10 of 13, I guess, at this point, if you're fast 10. (laughs) But yeah, that's going to be exciting. I'm going to be finishing up Fallout, getting my mind into the Mission Impossible world fully, and I'm excited. So uh, stay tuned for that, and we'll talk soon.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening.